0: Welcome back to Destination Unknown and our very first episode of 2022. My name is Lorna Greville and Destination Unknown is a podcast that bridges the gap between what we're told about future careers and what that life is really like, one story at a time. Today's guest is the first person that I wouldn't have classified as a friend before we sat down to record. In fact, we were complete strangers. Alistair Barton reached out to me on Reddit where I'd been looking for insight and feedback about the podcast and he excitedly told me he'd like to be a guest What incredible serendipity. As you'll hear in this episode, Alistair is warm, ambitious, meticulous, and in his own words, paid to be a control freak. As a fellow control freak, I empathise. My biggest takeaway from this conversation with Alistair is what an incredible advocate he is for apprenticeships. Apprenticeships have some kind of bizarre reputation as being lower value than degree, but anyone that has been through one will tell you what a fantastic experience they had and how much further they are in their career versus them having not done it in the first place. I want to share a few stats with you then before I hand over to Alice's interview. Stat number one. During the pandemic, the percentage of 18-year-olds attending university rose to its highest rate yet. Meanwhile, people aged 19 or under starting apprenticeships dropped by 33%. And the overall number of people starting apprenticeships nationally fell by more than 18%. In fact, this is the lowest they've been since 2010. Stat number two. Currently, almost half of all apprenticeship starters are aged 25 and over. Number three, you might associate apprenticeships with male roles, but in fact, it's pretty much even. In 2019, just over 51% of apprenticeships were men, so just under 49% of apprentices were women. Pretty much 50-50. Number four, then. More than a quarter of all apprenticeships started during 2020 were for the higher level, which is considered equivalent to a foundation degree or above. So they are really challenging and very high level. And lastly, now here's quite a big myth buster, I thought. You may associate apprenticeships with the trades, but in 2019, the year with the most recent data in full, 54% of apprenticeships were either in business admin and law or health, public services and care. It's wild to me that apprenticeships offer a debt-free option of rapidly climbing the ladder in a supportive environment, and yet fewer people are taking them up. If you're not convinced that an apprenticeship could be the right thing for you, listen on and Alistair will explain all. And thank you once again for joining us into another journey into Destination Unknown. You're
1: here. Can you hear me on this?
0: I can hear you. Oh, good. (laughs) How are you anyway? How's your day been? What have you been up to? Yeah,
1: a bit of a funny one today. I, um, I literally just got back from holiday. I was (laughs) not a way away, but I was in the UK in London um, with my partner Rob for three nights, which is nice. We sort of just, Um, Through work I accumulate a lot of Avios which is like BA's miles Um, and we usually use them for like a holiday or discounted flights but not sort of wise at this moment so we blew them all on the Hard Rock Hotel um, for a couple of nights which was really good fun and yeah just got away from that so been a bit of a mad day kind of catching up um, with work personal because I just ignored everything like my personal emails my work emails everything was just off and so today I'm like reality
0: (laughs) I was I read this thing the other day that was essentially this saying that if you use your downtime to like recover from work something is really wrong and I'm like oh that's definitely been me in the past so it sounds good to me that you're like fully switched off
1: yes agreed yeah Yeah. I felt a little bit guilty but always the way But coming back today, there was no disasters, nothing, no one died while I was away, Uh, which of course is not going to happen anyway. So totally fine.
0: Very, very early in my career. And I'm really interested to hear about your job and what it actually means. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I started in experiential marketing, so lots and lots of events. And I had to have a mantra that was just no deaths, no fires, no worries. Nobody's Mm. dying and nothing's on fire. Actually, everything's okay. And there is a solution
1: that is a good mantra yeah Um, no agreed I definitely get far too caught up in things and yeah taking it personally and things like that so I'll take that moving forward
0: (laughs) it's it's easy to do isn't it because it's it's what you care about and so when you care about it it does feel personal even if it's not
1: yeah agreed agreed but how are you how was your day
0: my day was good I'm still working from home and don't work in events anymore so is I'm pretty much home (laughs) 24-7 24-7 <laughs> and, uh, try, try to leave the house once a day uh, mm-hmm. does it happen not often <laughs> <laughs> anyway so welcome to Destination Unknown Alistair thank you so much for being here wonderful internet stranger um, can you tell us a little about who you are
1: sure yeah thank you Laura thank you so much for having me today so my name is Alistair Barton I'm a project director for an events and medcoms agency and I'm currently 27
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Um, the first question that I always ask is, you know, that's who you are now, but what did you want to be when you were, you know, before the age of 10 years old? What's the earliest career that you had in your mind?
1: Earliest career. that I definitely went on a journey as a kid and sort of had lots of different ideas and thoughts. I think the the earliest one I had was definitely to become a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and without a real interest in science, either, I sort of had like a, a chemistry kit and no acumen. I think I didn't even follow the instructions. So I'm glad that I didn't pan out um, and then laced down in, in my sort of life. I was thinking about becoming a journalist. That one stuck for a while, but never materialised. Um, but I did have a vested interest in things like English.
0: Mm, and so it's really interesting to hear that you had a chemistry kit. Uh, because in my head that's just American movies, kids have a chemistry crit, and in the UK (laughs) it didn't happen, but it's good to know that it's real life. Um, What do you think put you off chemistry and and turned you onto journalism and that kind of vested interest in English?
1: I think probably because of the complicated sort of, or definitely the stereotypical sort of complicated nature of of science. Um, You know, we studied three different types of science at the school I went to, so there was just maybe a little bit of overwhelm of choice um, and lots of sort of detailed information that I think put me off in, in the fact that it was more mechanical and systematic whereas maybe English has a bit more creativity and a bit more art to it.
0: Yeah absolutely and I guess that kind of comes on nicely so you science was a bit complex and English gives you a bit more flexibility and creativity. Was there a moment that you knew what you wanted to do as in what you do now, is was that something that kind of came to you or have you stumbled into it?
1: A little bit of both. I think I sort of realised and stumbled into it at the same time. So I, I remember going for interviews for the events sector and things like that. So to give you a bit of my background, I was all set to go to university and study psychology. So kind of down the scientific route, maybe a blend of, of both in, in some arguments. Uh, but instead, I actually chose to defer my place. I didn't want to go for the debt and I didn't actually have a sort of end result of what I wanted to do with psychology. Again, I think even at that point I was set against not going into the scientific or even the medical kind of industry um, in being a consultant. So I I cancelled the place and I took on my um, part time job full time whilst I searched for other kind of options outside of higher education. And I came across um, a company that helped with apprenticeships. And I think apprenticeships for me had a bit of a stereotype of being kind of a practical thing, either mechanics, woodwork. I think everyone kind of has that stereotype here in the UK um, of what that involves. But it was, in fact, the opposite. These were kind of apprenticeships within corporate companies, within sort of office based roles and geared at helping individuals like me into a, a, a part time then paid role. Um, and one of them was for a venue search coordinator company. And I thought, oh, events, that sounds really interesting. And parents, mum and dad, if you're listening to this, they sort of helped coach me um, for my interview and said, why don't you tell them about all the parties that we throw? Because my mum and dad are, are big party people. They like hosting people around their house. <laughs> and so I went into this interview and said, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I'm very organised. I've seen my parents plan parties at their house and I think I could do this. Um, so it, it connected, I think. There was no stumbling in. It it wasn't luck. It was sort of the right place and the right time. Um, But maybe perhaps by a bit more design in in that element, Um, realising that it was out there and realising it was right for me and then finding my passion in that.
0: Amazing. Do you feel that maybe your interest in psychology, do you still use that, do you think, in your day to day work?
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. I think psychology comes into pretty much everything we do um, and definitely at the moment uh, a project director comes into a little bit of coaching speakers, giving them advice for presenting up on stage. Um, and yeah, there's definitely psychology in that and sort of engaging an audience.
0: Amazing. Can we go back then to apprenticeships? Because I, I am a huge advocate of apprenticeships. I think they're a fantastic option higher education, university, as much as it's my job and I love it, I think has been kind of like there's one option of university and there's and there's not much else, maybe a bit of a desert once you leave high school or secondary school. How did you find out about apprenticeships?
1: It's a really good question. So I um I didn't go to a secondary school. I didn't do my A levels at a secondary school. I went to a specialist college to do them, um, the A2 and the AS levels. Uh, And there is a very good college, Um, it has sort of very high accolades and I I went to, I followed my brother's footsteps in going to that sort of breaking out of the smaller town uh, secondary school that I was at and going to sort of a bigger, more university style kind of college, which um, I, I don't regret the choice of, but I think Perhaps a, a big sort of selling point um, on their marketing and you know a big part of their ethos was the amount of people that successfully got university places from studying. Um, and we had I distinctly remember a what, what did they call it um, a, a no, not sociology. Uh, like a homeroom that's an american word but the, the english yeah. version of homeroom kind of session where we were submitting our ucas applications and there was detailed training and talks about how to submit your ucas and how to do really well and then um at the end of my tutor's presentation of this this ucas application training there was just one slide that had the apprenticeship logo on and it said and this is also another option and for more information you can go to apprenticeships.co.uk or, .gov kind of thing Um, And so I I did that lesson, I submitted my UCAS and sort of um, my parents went through the motion of taking me around the universities and and things like that. Um, And I guess only sort of from the realization of that after sort of seeing this university and and having a look um, and then deciding that maybe it wasn't the right path, did I look to that, what felt like at the time as a backup option, but actually turned out to be a really good option for me in a more practical approach.
0: I, I think they're just so great. I mean, there's no, there's no losing, is there? You get a fantastic education. You're immersed into the work world, which you'll have to be in at some point anyway, immediately. And you don't need for debt. And also, I think just being surrounded by experts and people that are doing that work is really enlightening i think i don't think it does fast track your career in a, in a really big way if it's if it's right for you just a note on on the data on on apprenticeships so apprenticeships actually have been in decline for the last few years the government has put in an awful lot of funding to try to raise the profile of them um there's a strange stigma that seems to pervade against apprenticeships even though there are like so many amazing stories like yours of huge success through apprenticeships but i think apprenticeships of the 70s and 80s seem to pervade the national consciousness of what of what apprenticeships are which like you said maybe are more vocational like woodwork but certainly there are amazing mm. amazing apprenticeships out there and if anyone that's listening if you're thinking about wanting to change a career or want to go back into education definitely give apprenticeships a look it's such a fantastic option I think particularly of coming back to education a little bit later it's perfect because you'll still be earning and you'll be in the workforce really really quickly
1: yes, I love that absolutely. you've done that amazing thank you
0: that does, that does kind of tick off one of the questions I had, which is about you know about the training and what you need to be, what you do. Um, but mm. before we move on to that, actually, let's talk about what is your day-to-day like as an event medical, it's, you had a long title and I forgot it entirely, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, what
1: do you do,
0: what's your day like?
1: Yeah, of course. Well, so I guess my title is um, maybe a, a bit more generic. So it's project director, you know, director of projects, whatever way you want to say, Say that round um which could be you know a thousand different job titles lots of different companies have you know project managers project directors and things like that um i guess it's more the industry that, that's specific to me so um uh, i work for swm partners which is a medical communications and events company and basically what they do is serve larger pharmaceutical organizations medical organizations with logistical needs um, and the main part of my role is providing events to them and it's a very very sort of specific event that we do Um, we do a sort of uh, let me rephrase that our bread and butter and our um highest expertise is in a very specific event which is called the investigator meeting which is at the start of a launch of a clinical trial so essentially there's a drug ready to sort of be tested on patients to be rolled out into the trials and to make sure that it's working and doing everything that it should be um, this and provide it to doctors to assess whether there are potential patients in their practices. They need to have this meeting to train them on the protocol, the various nuances of the drugs, the do's and the don'ts. Um, and that's what an investigator meeting is. So I my role comes into that in terms of providing all of the logistics for that. Um, and pre-COVID times, that was sourcing venues, sourcing logistics in whichever destination city um, had been chosen based on various sort of different factors of everyone's location. Uh, and at the moment what that looks like is online training instead so our biggest challenge at the moment is trying to spice up online meetings to make sure that engagement is peaking and to make sure attendance is there because everyone's sort of a bit fatigued um, for sort of attending online events. So. My day-to-day life is very varied. Um, I've sort of come to the the higher position in in the company of the operations team, which involves a lot of client liaison. So looking at a lot of calls, a lot of client um, emails. So confidence and clarity is all required. Um, but in an exciting week, you know, sort of pre-COVID, that could be travelling off to these destinations, either doing site visits or or actually being on site and running the events Times it can be producing the virtual event, making sure the slides are coming up, making sure all the polls and everything like that is synced alongside a a team of two uh, or a team of two plus me during the live production
0: quite a big job and I just I I think it's something and perhaps this is all agreed it's just a part of the world you're completely unaware of and I think that's that's the big missing gap isn't it there's I do think you know you talk to lots of students and or young people and they're like I'll be a doctor a teacher a policeman it's all very very visible jobs and your role is a really invisible but crucial Job to our entire sector and to all of our health.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and and that's why um, sort of I really wanted to be a guest because I had no idea this industry existed. And actually, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is a very solid industry. Um, gets sick everybody needs cures so it's a really stable industry and has held us well sort of during the COVID times of course everything still needed to be um, trained and tested even whilst the world was in lockdown in the pharmacy so those meetings and those events they were still needed Um, so it was it was nice and stable and and perhaps even a little bit busier and more chaotic than the normal
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I really feel that I have to say it was busier than ever Um, for education as well just trying to Mm -hmm. reorient everything so I really really feel that do you think that there is a relationship then you know you said you wanted to be a scientist when you were you know a a little kid Um, and then and then more interested in English and kind of the creative work. do you think actually your career has ended up being an amalgam of what you really wanted to be as a kid
1: yeah, definitely, quite possibly. Um, well, no, absolutely. I would say I, I, when you sort of look at what I just said there, sort of the science is maybe sort of the amalgamation, but absolutely. I'm sort of witnessing that rather than getting involved. So the science is, of course, building the the content of the event, which the client um, and the scientific program manager uh, work on um, for them. But I sort of very sort of involved in the logistics, more sort of observing the science. That I don't actually have the the education and the the doctorate that the science team do at S W M. Um, and then the English is sort of, I guess, the creative side of operations. And I was always really organized as a kid, you know, uh, or a teenager, you know, like the school planners and stuff like that. Mine was always super neat, super up to date. Um, so yeah, I think it's just maybe sort of amalgamation of all of my uh, talents, enjoyments into, into one job.
0: I wish I had been organized <laughs> at any point of <laughs> my life. I think I sometimes appear more organized than I really am, but uh, it's certainly not a natural gift. It's, and certainly, makes complete sense then to be so successful in events because there's so much to think about as you've described lots of different things and you mentioned um before we before we started recording you talked about um obvious points so your and event like destinations that sounds like it's all over the world then what are the kind of destinations that you have spent time in as part of your work
1: oh all sorts um so i'm i'm very lucky at swm in the fact that before pre-covid um like maybe less than five percent of the events we did were in the uk so the main sort of driving factor behind this is the location of the we call them sites but really that means sort of hospitals involved in the study so if you have um a study of a drug that is launching in you know three regions say um asia pac uh, america and europe then that's likely going to be split into three meetings based on sort of the rough um, grouping of the time zones. Same with virtual, um, but obviously that all happens and produced from the UK. But if we were meeting face to face, that would be three different events. Um, And what you'd look at is central hubs um, for those regions. So, you know, Europe, if you've got like Germany, um, Czech Republic, uh, and France coming, then you're going to look for somewhere either in the middle of those or a location within those um, countries that has really good airport access for, for each of those. Um, and that is, unfortunately, really the UK. The UK is involved a lot in sort of the the studies and um, we see them come a lot, certainly on the, the projects that we work on. Um, but it's it's not the most accessible. London is not the best city for events, certainly in, in our experience. Um, with sort of Heathrow being so far away from London, um, there are definitely more practical cities and destinations um, in Europe. And of course, the benefit of Europe as well um, is that it's landlocked. So if people would prefer to sort of just drive over the border to the hotel, if that's accessible for them, that's much more convenient than sort of everybody having to fly or everybody having to take, um, you know, like a ferry or something if they were driving.
0: I did some traveling in the past, and when people would you know hear that I was in India, they'd be very excited about it. And I personally found it fine but you know most time was spent inside a hotel and not really seeing the country not being part of it do you do you mm-hmm. feel that you know would you recommend a career like yours for somebody that's really motivated by traveling
1: oh absolutely um but yeah there, there is a sort of degree of I'm probably selling this in sort of a very glamorous kind of way um but of course this travel you know in, involves work we're not just sitting on the beach and sunning ourselves um though everyone friends and family always sort of The running joke is if you're an event planner that travels, they sort of say, oh, you know, you're off on holiday again. It's like, "Mm, not quite. Um, Yeah. So to to paint perspective on that, um, usually a a trip to Europe for me would be looking like getting up at maybe 4 a.m. to catch the flight, getting over sort of transfer to Heathrow, landing in the city destination, getting the car straight to the hotel and going into our secretariat office setting up all of our equipment for my client to arrive sort of later that day with a small meeting um, and then the big sort of meeting with all of the doctors taking place the next day. You know, arrivals happening throughout, different offsite dinners happening throughout and sort of spreading myself and the team um, in the various locations that we are in that city. Um, only sort of at the very end would you sort of take a breath and relax. Um, and, and there are ample opportunities. Many companies sort of let their colleagues um, or employees stay on after the events if there's no extra incurred costs and if that's taken on on your own um, sort of uh, financial incentive, which I've done many, many times because it's um, it's really good fun to sort of build those better relationships with your team. Um, the events industry is full of outgoing people that you know want to have fun and want to stay on and, and um get sort of that that good working relationship but also moving it into a social relationship as well in terms of going out and exploring the city so 100 a job for someone who's looking to travel um but yeah not 100 sort of guaranteed um in the fact that there is you know actual work taking place on site as well
0: and currently a pandemic which is yes
1: also difficult um but do you know what i found new fun and sort of challenges in that um in terms of the Producing um, online events because no. you know now that's kind of a, a quite highly sought after skill for for those that can do it um, and those that can do it well as well and definitely the the good well produced events online stand out from the rest and so that's a the huge kind of benefit to the skill set we've acquired.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can really feel the difference. Um, It sounds like a very, very hectic job and also a lot of fun. Um, We talked a bit about some of your natural aptitude that's made you really suitable for for what you do. But thinking more broadly, what skills do you feel somebody would need to be successful in in your sector?
1: Definitely organisation, as we've talked about. If you feel you have a natural increment or talent for for organisation, 100% that would be required. Um, and definitely the other skill that comes up as well is attention to detail. You know, when we're when we're face to face and even when we're online, we're handling really sort of detailed information of, and personal information as well. So care needs to be taken towards that. Um, you know, booking flights, making sure all those dates match up with what they're supposed to be attending um, their hotel dates and things like that. So attention to detail. Um, and I would say just an enthusiasm and drive, as I talked about there and um, painting that picture of what on site looks like it is sort of really long days um working on these events you sort of have the right attitude it can be really good fun and still hard work but there's a sort of ethos of working together as a team and a family like we're really really close it's certainly in the companies that I've worked in everyone just sort of mucks in and there's that real job satisfaction of just turning things around um, and being in it together so teamwork I guess building on that as well
0: yeah. interpersonal skills absolutely mm. That's crucial in any in any kind of work, I'm sure there's I'm sure there must be jobs out there where you can be solitary, um, but being able to collaborate, being able to manage stakeholders and clients is absolutely essential in so many different um, places to work. You mm, mentioned uh, different companies, so you did your um, apprenticeship, and so are you still working at the same company that you did your apprenticeship with? What's been your journey since then?
1: So I worked with them for five years or so. So I did the the venue search. I think I was a venue search assistant at that point as my apprenticeship, and then once I'd completed the apprenticeship, um, I think I was venue sourcing coordinator, something along those lines. And then sort of that was, um, a, that company had a different structure to the one that I work in now. It had its very own venue sourcing department, so as the title suggests, it was purely just finding the venues and then passing them on to the operations team. Didn't have the the hand in sort of actually the production of the events, it was just finding a suitable location and then sort of passing on to someone else to arrange. So a couple of sort of years into that, uh, is the wrong word, but it, it got quite repetitive and there's only sort of so many skills you, you can pick up with that. And as I say, I'm sort of quite a, a driven person, outgoing person, so i made the choice um, or sort of negotiated with the employer to move into the operations team and a project coordinator or project executive, sometimes it's called in, in companies, which is essentially um, the junior kind of role within the events sector involves booking all of the travel um, and doing all of the registrations, um, be that online or be that in person for the attendees and just really focusing purely on the delegates, uh, collecting all of their information, making sure all of that's up to date. I did a couple of years of that and then got promoted to project manager within um, that company. So that is what I'm doing now, essentially on a a sort of more junior level, being the the main contact for the client, doing all the logistics such as the the hotel, the city, um, the ground transfers and things like that. It's very much vendor and client liaison. Um, And then I I chose to to move. Um, It was sort of mainly geographical. The company that I referenced there, they were very close to, and I sort of chose to move out based on finding my partner and um, moving sort of more towards his neck of the woods. Um, so that ended up me working with this this current agency. And I went in as a project manager. Um, and then again, that's sort of their junior and got promoted to project director. And I've been doing that for, I think, two and a half years, somewhere along those lines.
0: Amazing. So two two big companies and both places you've been climbing the ladder as you go
1: yeah exactly and um I mean for a 27 year old that probably sounds like a really long career path I think it spans eight years total but that is just a huge benefit of the the apprenticeship because like you say you're you hit the ground running you're straight into the kind of role um and working your way kind of through that and into those positions so yeah I'm really proud
0: yeah you should be really proud it's an incredible trajectory amazing I I think we've been probably in the state in the workforce about the same time so yeah it's amazing so great and I'm an awful lot older than you
1: um
0: (laughs) you don't look so, it it's fine oh, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> what do you wish more people in your profession knew you know not to uh denigrate any uh, sector or any people but do you feel there's a kind of a, a general thing across your sector that could be better
1: i think definitely there is emphasis on technology at the moment of this is pretty applicable but um, I guess you would sort of say how can technology come into events well of course everything's online now at the moment you know there's thousands of different platforms different plugins different streaming options and things like that so just even having a little kind of general awareness of things like coding just a basic understanding um, of how sort of html plugins work um, understanding of even things like zoom and the other kind of options that it can provide could give you a really good kind of um elevated position would say because moving forward there's going to be a massive sort of emphasis on on what in the industry buzzword is hybrid which is essentially like complaining um combining that face-to-face in-person contact with also an online audience if there's someone who doesn't want to come so that's sort of how i'm seeing or how the industry will become a bigger part and it's always really been a part because there's been sort of interactive tools you know voting keypads apps and things like that that go alongside events so I would definitely say there's a huge emphasis on on things like that uh, coming out of the pandemic if someone were to sort of say oh I I think that they um would need to have sort of uh, again sort of an outgoing um mindset and good communication skills I think even me sort of during the lockdown you know I, that muscle of sort of being in social situations um, and being sort of confident at networking and things like that—you know—it's really kind of—it's um, become lax because you know we're we're all sitting in front of computer screens instead of meeting individuals. So I would definitely say that you would need sort of um, some understanding or some experience in doing that as well, and and confidence will go a long way.
0: Absolutely, I do miss in-person events um, massively. I have been to a couple of hybrid events, which actually have worked really well. I've been surprised by how well they've been done which is a That's pleasing to hear yeah I think it'll be good in the future or maybe I'm saying that because I was there in person I don't know maybe it was less fun for the people at home who knows Um, this is quite a big question I guess maybe coming off the back of thinking about what could be better what's the biggest mistake you feel you've made in your career so far or the biggest lesson you've learned
1: oh tricky question I yeah I think it's probably hundreds of little sort of mistakes that I'll have made you know this is a as we've said, it's a high sort of fast paced, highly detailed um, industry. You know, there's there's bound to be mistakes and sort of slip ups. Um, but what I think is important in the events industry is making sure that there's no loss of face in the terms of, you know, you could be scrambling around trying to fix things, but on the surface, you know, the event has to go smoothly. And as long as the sort of end client and the delegates don't sort of see that, as long as you catch it before it happens or before it impacts anyone, the result is still positive um I, I very early in sort of the stages of my career i used to have this conversation with my partner a lot and i used to text him being like wrong and i did this wrong and you know i said this wrong um and his response would be very much that well did your end client notice how many people be like oh no i you know I, I fixed them all before you know i before the time came and he said well did they go wrong that's not really exactly wrong and i think uh proactivity is a huge sort of mindset um learning the events industry and being in it it's sort of anticipating situations that could happen um before they do or you know a couple of minutes or getting as much notice and as much to sort of jump on those things as you can do planning for every situation putting procedures in place for if that that um if that thing does happen then what your sort of next stages and how will you rectify it um Specific examples. Oh, I, like I said, countless. I've done it in the rain before, you know, like booked a, an offsite dinner from the hotel within walking distance. And of course, it's been chucking it down with rain. It wasn't in the UK. It was actually a um, different country. But you're know, like, you know, little things like securing umbrellas from the desk um, and, and things like that go towards helping that. You can't help the weather, but, you know, a little umbrella can can go a long way. Um, and, uh, you know, instances of uh offsite offsite dinners is maybe a main one with me because that's quite stressful in terms of actually getting everybody out of the hotel um before i've had a uh a big transfer bus that we booked from a London hotel, the only time I think I've ever worked in London, to an offsite dinner venue. And the coaching company hadn't checked properly that they could pull up in front of the venue by the doors, despite specific instructions, my caveat there, despite specific instructions from me saying, can you just double check that you can pull right up to the door? Uh, So on the night of the offsite dinner, the tour guide once everyone was in the bus said, oh, where do you want me to drop them off for dinner? And so uh, I didn't know until this point that they had uh, not been able to pull up. So I had to run down a high street of London, flag down this bus um, and walk everybody through this very quite grotty alleyway to this uh, offsite dinner venue and walk them in sort of to the front doors. Uh, But, you know, lesson learned from that is proactivity. I should have I should have checked. I should have had more sort of correspondence and conversations with them about that rather than just leaving it um in their sort of hands there should have been sort of follow-up from my side and you know at the end of the day no harm done but that was probably one of the most stressful uh moments of my career sort of in full sort of dinner suit running down the road chasing a bus flagging it down (laughs) and getting uh, into a a swanky dinner venue
0: (laughs) sounds amazing it sounds like you dealt with it incredibly well but I I can really feel how stressful it'd be in the moment I imagine like looking back you're like oh it's actually fine it ended up being fine I can learn but in the moment oh it gets you. Definitely.
1: I guess it's something just takes over me, kind of the, I, I don't even think that in that moment, you know, people say, oh, I'll be too scared to sort of, or too self-conscious to run down London High Street flagging down a bus. But I don't know, the adrenaline sort of t- took over at that point. And I'm in the mindset of, well, this needs to be fixed. Our delegates need to be looked after. I can't, I don't really have time right now to think about what everyone on the high street is thinking of me. I'm just going to crack on and, and do what I think is right. Um, and, and yeah, so, uh, you know, it paid off, I
0: guess. Absolutely, worked out so well. Um, to speak to what you were saying about proactivity, I completely agree. It's something I look for when hiring and certainly in junior members of the team, my advice so often, is, particularly for like new grads, maybe people that don't um, aren't used to like a working world, my advice is always, if you're going to ask for help for somebody, give a solution that might be completely wrong. But if you're going to ask for help and ask for some advice, give some idea that you have thought about it and often it's completely wrong and that's absolutely fine so it sounds like Mm. you're super active and thinking about that all the time
1: yeah definitely it's it's a really crucial event skill like to give it and since we're on funny conversations or um situations another thing that springs to mind sort of speaking for activity when i was in america on site in denver um I think it was a raccoon or something went into the hotel's power generator of the block and obviously unfortunately the raccoon was fried but so was the power system and this was the morning of sort of my main day event, Um, you know we've got massive sort of production and screen in the hotel that no power, Um, we had uh, I think iPads for individuals to vote and things like that charged fortunately but the hotel's kitchen and thing everything like that was electronic so everything was on sort of backup power um cool. probably about 5 30 a.m from the hotel organizers sort of saying we have a situation sir could you just come down to the lobby and, and we'll sort of discuss and the hotel all they sort of said to me was the power's off and um, we're doing everything we can to sort of get it back online it's completely out of our hands which of course i understand um but sort of speaking of productivity at that point we're sort of sitting down and they said they expected to get back online um the power back on sort of by uh, the time our event started which was probably 9 30 a.m something on those lines but uh, speaking of proactivity i sort of sat with them and said well right what sort of items can you prepare that are cold that don't require the power what kind of food can we give if that is the situation um sort of contacting the av company is there any sort of generators that you can source locally um, and as as I said earlier, we had iPads um, for voting, and I think we sort of planned to load the slides on those so that everyone could still have a screen and people could still present. And we, you know, sort of put all these procedures in place, ready for the day. Uh, fortunately, the power came back on. But you know, that's just an example of how much you have to think on your feet and not panic in in the moment.
0: Absolutely, and the show absolutely went on. It sounds like you're incredibly driven. We've just talked about your rapid career rise. What is it that drives you?
1: I think this has sort of varied over different years of, of my career I because uh, we sort of talked earlier about maybe sort of stumbling into it or, or coming across things um relatively by chance I think I was just going through um it's to a certain degree the motions because I was enjoying it and just carrying on there was no sort of uh original drive about excelling and sort of moving up um and then sort of at the again sort of the early stages of perhaps my management career it would be you know the the promotion the title the sort of Monetary value um, of the paycheck and things like that, but in sort of recent times, especially with COVID and the pandemic hitting, the main drive for me now is uh, helping patients um, at the end of sort of what I'm doing here. So, is a huge clinical trial. You know, they can span years and years and years, and you know, their budget is astronomical, and the amount of people involved, in of sacrifice from individuals, especially patients, is is just huge. Um, but I'm sort of blessed and happy that my role as part of that is to give sort of the crucial training which could eventually lead to you know cures for cancer and other kind of diseases and and that's really what kind of drives me now um based on yeah as i said based on recent sort of pandemic global situations um just thinking of the greater picture and and helping people at the end of the day
0: what an incredible way to blend something that is fun in terms of making you know creating events and bringing people together but doing so in a sector that means you're like changing the world incredible yeah <laughs> incredible yeah. I, I want to pause and like just give that moment I had like chills listening to listen to that it's amazing um and I do think you know maybe some people are very very motivated by money all the time but the hours you are just talking about you know 4 a.m flights 5 30 a.m calls from from the, from the hospital from the hotel you can't make yourself do that every day for money alone it's not enough you have to have something that's deeper and that's kind of pulling you forwards rather than like you dragging yourself along money will make you you know money will drag you but i think you know something that's deeper will be the wind beneath your wings to use a very fluffy phrase
1: <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely i think the the sentiment behind it is yeah completely true and yeah i would agree with that um yeah i've definitely seen sort of people that are only willing to sort of take things so far which of course is totally fine um and everyone sort of has um their place if if they don't want to excel further then that's totally totally up to them but they're sort of you know standout individuals um that do sort of progress and that do move forward and I think there is you're right there's something else other than sort of money there in in the drive
0: we talked about very long hours um there some some really really intensely long hours what's your work-life balance like is it crazy hours all the time are you able to enjoy life outside of work
1: I'd say I have a good work life balance. It it sort of peaks and troughs. um, So, yeah, I mean, on site, it is very, very intense. Sort of, you're talking a a week or more. in terms of you know back-to-back meetings making sure everything's prepared because everything that goes into an event um you know even if an event is three days you know you've got two days plus before that of all the meetings you've got to have with the suppliers and all the setup and things like that and um, before the actual event so you know that adds on a, a lot of time to the, the production team um, yeah, it's it's late nights, definitely on site and early mornings. But of course, that's, you know, not all of the time. Everything else sort of that happens in the office is more kind of nine to five kind of basis. Um, it, it, virtuals has been interesting, as I mentioned earlier, lots of different time zones that we need to serve. So there has sort of been the, you know, the 4 a.m. really kind of late calls that we've sort of been producing for for these um, site staff based on the fact that they're in a different time zone, but they still sort of yeah. we're in the UK producing it. So I guess there are, maybe peaks and troughs is the wrong word, but there are extremes um, and there's sort of downtime. Um, All of the time we get back for, we get back in lieu at points. So there's sort of balance provided there, Um, but it's not sort of nine to five every single day, but I think that keeps it interesting. And it's a nice blend of sort of office work, doing that sort of nine to five routine, but also getting out of the routine, being on your feet, producing these events, walking around, um, you know, greeting the delegates, doing all sort of that on-site stuff, um, which I I don't think I could do a full office job sort of nine to five. I think I I need that sort of um, active element with the production.
0: Do do you feel that those kind of hours, can they impact your personal life at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the travel has a massive impact as well. Um, You know, I'll be away from from home for, you know, up to a week and things like that for on-site sometimes longer um yeah I definitely think that you need an understanding partner <laughs> I got into my relationship um when I was already in the industry so you know he knew what he was getting himself in for
0: exactly I you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: and I, I think it's sort of you know if anyone was sort of having trouble with that you know setting time aside for work um and setting time aside for personal life as well and sort of yeah just working on the kind of balance together and and having a helpful understanding partner um behind that is of course um appreciated
0: makes the difference absolutely yeah
1: makes a difference that's what i was
0: looking for (laughs) (laughs) Um, i can attest that from my past as well (laughs) Um, what kind of uh, level of comfort does your um what does your job provide you kind of what's your lifestyle like
1: sure well again i'd say i have a a good comfortable lifestyle for sure Um, so I purchased my house, um, my first home, uh, two, two years and six months ago or something along those lines. Um, yeah, so it's a, a house in the center of um, a town called Aylesbury, um, so nothing sort of standalone, but I was able to do that out of my own salary with all my own savings, just purely independently. Uh, me, just sort of all in my la- name, so another sort of a big achievement that I sort of consider from that. Um, and there are various sort of perks that come with the role of sort of traveling as we've talked about there um which again is sort of in the 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 peaks and the troughs you have to take the the long hours based on the benefit that you're receiving from the travel so you know that is out in my head but someone else um perhaps maybe quite particular um, this may not be the industry for them kind of thing. but I, I sort of I have a very comfortable and happy life. You know, I'm not sitting here in all gucci clothes um, and sort of driving a porsche, but that's not what yet. I want to aspire to yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I want to aspire to. Um, I, yeah, i'm I'm not entirely financially driven. Um, I'm comfortable and I have a happy lifestyle sort of provided by this role. Um, but of course, sort of if you're coming in at that interim level um, of sort of coordinator, or executive you know salary is going to kind of be reflective on that um eight or nine years in the making
0: <laughs> yeah so, i mean to be to buy you be buying your own house off your own back at the age of 25 is unheard of it's incredible really really um amazing and impressive and i think if anyone was not yet sold on apprenticeships this should be the the kick at the bottom <laughs> to to do it um what an incredible Absolutely. achievement and i think I do think it's often the things in our personal lives that are a reflection of of our hard work that, um, you know, shows shows what we've achieved. Mm-hmm.
1: And save for those deposits as well. Yeah. Start saving as soon as you can for a deposit.
0: It sounds, it sounds great. So you have, kind of have a lot of travel as part of your work, um, which sounds great. And anyone that's interested in travel, it sounds like events would be a really good option. How much has your um, profession changed since you joined? I guess like... COVID might be a big part of that, but do you feel there's been a, an evolution in the last nine years?
1: I that. Has there been any change in the industry? I think it, for the most part it sort of remained constant, as I mentioned earlier it's certainly in this company that I'm working and, and the last company both were sort of same agency types in terms of being medical communications and events uh, and that investigator meeting was sort of the core offering for, for both companies, so because the event is so specific and and so um and has been the same technically uh for throughout my career i guess i haven't really noticed a, a massive amount of change in that sorry i'm messing this up i, no, I look, want to This is making, no it's
0: making total sense making, there's not much change and that's that's absolutely i think i think it's um the reason that it's in here's because that my sector is really changing all the time government policy completely changes the landscape of everything that that we do yeah. like on a day-to-day level Last year when, um, I mean, obviously COVID, COVID impacts it, but things like changes in A-levels, T-levels coming in, all of this mm. that is completely out of our control but totally changes everything that we're doing. And I think it sounds that you you have a constant and you have, you know, your your industry is having and producing um, clinical trials that, like you said, last year's, decades, they need to be longitudinal. And so there needs to be consistency. And perhaps the mm. changes are the hybrid a hybrid model as things move as things move along
1: yeah no definitely uh, well good point sort of drawing that that comparison and when you sort of look at the the two together I definitely say that your industry and sector experiences far more change um, I yeah I think the investigator meeting is the constant um, and it always needs to kind of stay roughly to that format um but that's not to say that sort of small tweaks and improvements can't be made here and there and, and things are adapting um, things do sort of always change within the industry in terms of, you know, hot destinations, what's really good at the spotlight on. Uh, COVID of course has put a massive emphasis on on technology and bringing people together. Uh, And certainly in the sort of pharmaceutical industry in general as well, which of course sort of passes down to us uh, emphasis on inclusion within clinical trials, um, inclusive research and making sure that the population of of patients is diverse enough to sort of broaden the, Usability of the sort of drugs and making sure it works in sort of each patient population Um, and sort of we're seeing that reflected in the content um, of what's sort of going out there. Part of the MedCom side of things that scientific programme managers um, work on within SWM is relation to recruitment of patients and things like that. So it does have an impact in terms of how we are helping recruit um, and advertise those studies
0: it sounds like there is change i think perhaps because you've been doing one part of it for a for a long time it might feel like it doesn't but it sounds like you've certainly gone through changes already i think i guess like thinking about then the future of what your profession looks like it sounds like there's not like you said tweaks to hone it and refine it what do you think might be different in the future and potentially the near future or the far future
1: well i think definitely technology is sort of here to stay, Uh, it's not going away sure I think everything sort of that we've put together in terms of producing online events those elements are still sort of going to hang around I think moving forward for events there's going to be different decisions um or or perhaps a different sort of process of of thinking about the event and and what people want from it instead of just it being the the staple of we're going to have this event and we're going to bring these people together I think it will be more purpose driven in terms of well what do we want to get out of the event and then you have to understand whether there's like moral justification of bringing people face-to-face or bringing everyone face-to-face and sort of halving that by role perhaps if one role is not necessarily as crucial to the purpose of the meeting then they can sort of be brought in good mm-hmm. element um, and I definitely think that moving forward it's going to need to be more of a choice to attend I think a lot of people are going to be a lot of people will want to go straight back to face-to-face and, and dive in and really enjoy the events because they've missed the in-person contact and the networking and then I think on the opposite side of the spectrum we may have have, um, you know, someone who is concerned, um, perhaps they've got someone who's vulnerable at home, perhaps they've got a family that they just don't feel like it's worth the risk of exposure, um, you know, to, to go to that event. So they're going to want the option to to join virtually but be included as part of the audience and not just watch a, a, an event that's streamed. They're still. So I think there's a huge amount of attention on making people feel as one audience whether they're in the room or whether they're not and you know basic kind of thing making sure that people are streamlined in terms of the content that they're seeing in terms of the participation uh you know ideas such as providing people um you know a voting app in the room and at home as well so they're sort of participating and engaging that way of other ideas floating around as well so that's a very much ongoing um kind of thing but events will stay sort of as events you know the the rough concept of an event i don't think is, is ever going to change i think humans really thrive on face-to-face connection and, and building relationships and i think that's at the core of an event um it's only sort of the superfluous kind of accessories of technology that, that will change I think the, the, the core purpose and event will stay the same
0: Amazing. I always think you know photos of Woodstock from like yes. years ago could be now because the love of live music and connection is universal um, yeah agreed what about in relation to the kind of travel side of things
1: mm.
0: is there a consideration for the environmental impact of, of flying a lot is that something that has been part of the conversation that your company will, with what you do?
1: Yeah, of course. No, absolutely. That's a really sort of good point. Um, it's not just the financial cost. It's sort of the, the cost of the environment as well that needs to be considered sort of for the reason for having events. Um, we're always sort of working on ways to make things more neutral, whether it's sort of be carbon neutralizing the flights. Um, hotels are, have been sort of really good and hot on this for years in terms of, everything being recyclable, everything being disposable containers and things like that at the events that we're going to. Um, and, and for sort of a good few years, I've sort of been partnering with um, things like a, a big passion of mine is food waste because event food waste is huge and that can be a huge sort of societal impact and also have a massive impact on the environment. You know, food waste accounts for a lot of a waste of sort of fossil fuels and things like that. So. Wherever I can, I've sort of been working with the, the local city sort of guidelines um, and any supplies that I can in terms of if there is any sort of waste food or leftover food from the functions we're putting on. Can it go to a charity that is able to put that in the hands of people, um, in, be the homeless or be it people that are, are vulnerable or, or can't not in a financial position to support themselves? Um, so, yeah, that's just some of the couple of things that we're doing to reduce the impact. Um, and it's definitely again something that filters down as well focus on that in the pharmaceutical industry at the moment so we're consciously thinking of ways to to help do that um, and you know if if the, the carbon impact can be reduced you know 100% it can be you know hosting it online or you know maybe not 100% maybe more like 96% but then that has to be assessed with the need of the meeting and the purpose so that's part of the assessment too.
0: Absolutely and I do think Air travel will change. There'll be new fuels. We'll be able to do it. It will continue for sure. We talked about some mistakes that you've made or felt that you've made, things that haven't gone quite to plan. And I have to say, I think they're pretty small mistakes in the grand scheme of things. But thank you. <laughs> tell me about your best day. Tell me something that you're the most proud of.
1: Oh my best day, um, well I think uh, um, maybe instead of a specific generic, um, the, the best day for me is always the last day of the event because so much stress and pressure and late nights that go into sort of producing this event and then usually on the very last day it's sort of maybe um, filters or sort of teeters out because it's more of a half day. Not everyone has to attend meetings. So, you know, there's a couple of, there's a dinner the night before normally, covered departures in the morning, a smaller kind of, you know, 100, 150 person meeting, um, and then everyone departs. And, and that is my favorite day. That sounds really mean to my delegates, but when they all go home, <laughs> because, me and my team can just breathe this massive sigh of relief we can pat ourselves on the back um and you know we can go we we go into the secretary office all of our equipment and stuff gets folded down packed down you see the hotel room sort of return to its blank empty canvas state and it's almost like we we were never there we never had an impact training um in order to make an impact on the world
0: like magic like you were never there amazing and i think it's (laughs) interesting that you know it's like nothing happened but particularly for your sector lots Will happen off the back of it and the world will change. Amazing. Yeah, I really feel that high of the last day of an event, 100%. Absolutely. So let's finish on one last piece of advice. Let's imagine there's 17 year old are out there right now, somewhere, maybe they're in Halesbury maybe they're in Birmingham, but somebody's just like you. What advice would you want to give them as they're thinking about their future?
1: My advice would be not to get too caught up in the choice and the options. I think, um, you know, I I look back on picking which GCSE subjects to take forward, picking which A-levels to take forward, and then picking one ultimate subject for university. I would say don't get overwhelmed. You know, I've got colleagues, um, as I said, that they, we have a scientific team at SWM, a, a full doctor. Um, but they, you know, they're not practising; they're not GPs. It didn't set them down one solid path. You know, they're working alongside us, preparing content for a, a pharmaceutical event, um, and you know that's completely, as you said, a sort of industry that maybe people aren't aware of, and a path that people maybe aren't aware of. So. Don't get too caught up in the labels um, of the subjects and putting yourself down a specific path. Just be open, be considerate and and, um, do subjects that are practical and that are useful um, and that you have an interest in ultimately, because that's gonna make uh, whatever line of work you go into more enjoyable. Um, And along the way, pick up as many skills and as many experiences as you can. If, If that 17 year old is particularly interested in events, there is no greater thing to have on your CV than if you know the charitable sector is in massive need of volunteers um so yeah find a local charity put yourself down as an event volunteer and you could put that on your CV and that'll be a big tick in your interview
0: amazing I personally love the volunteers at Parkrun they're amazing so great um Alistair thank you so much that's amazing advice it's been so interesting to hear about a sector I didn't know existed and a role that I knew about for other sectors but so unique to what you do thank you so much. I'd also like to tell the listeners that Alistair also has a really, really fascinating podcast called Picking at Perfection, um, which I have become hooked on. So I'm going to hand over to Alistair to just talk about that very briefly um, because I do think you should all, if you're listening to this and enjoying it, you'll definitely uh, enjoy Alistair's podcast. So Alistair, tell us about Picking at Perfection.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Laura. I'm glad to see you're a fan and thank you for the plug. Um, yeah, do you know what? It tunes so much into the advice I just gave. So Picking up perfection is aimed at challenging, is aimed at challenging society's um, expectations of what the perfect life looks like, and really trying to break out of society's mold and choose things with ultimate happiness. Um, very much about stepping off the hedonic treadmill. So yeah, if you enjoy this, definitely check that out. Um, we have some great guests talking about their experiences um, with perfection and how they've come overcome challenges and things like that.
0: I'm so curious how you fit that into your day. a busy schedule it's because you're so organized you can do it if any of you came into this podcast with a negative view of apprenticeships i'm certain that no one is leaving with the same view time and time again as part of these conversations i'm fascinated about how many of us perhaps by accident find ourselves in careers that speak to interests we've had for our entire life from very early on Wanting to be a scientist and then a journalist, Alistair has ended up in a role that is essentially science communication. Another vastly important topic is about the invisible roles of our world. During the many years I worked with students directly and in universities, students would tell me they want to become a doctor or a nurse or do a degree in international development because they want to do good. Admirable, for sure, so many of us feel the same. But there are so many ways to do good. Alistair's role as project director in a medical communications agency is one of the unsung essential parts of the way the world's medical services and research operates. I had barely given a second thought to how universities or companies go about medical research, working with doctors and patients for their trial. But if it wasn't for people like Alistair, those medical researchers may never connect with the right staff or patients who have ultimately radically changed our world. All of our lives are connected in numerous ways. And Alice's story is proof once again of this fact. I know I've had a few weeks off, but we will be back next week with another journey into Destination unknown.